Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we study Psalm 111. Praise Yahweh. I will give thanks to Yahweh with my whole heart. In the company of the upright in the congregation, great are the works of Yahweh, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. Yahweh is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. It's been a common theme of the Psalms to praise Yahweh for his mighty works, for what he has done for his people. And today's Psalm in that regard, is no different, giving you another opportunity as a family to talk together about what things the Lord has done and why he is worthy of our praise. Why do we praise him? Why do we thank him? Why do we lift him up that the world may see and know him? I will give thanks to Yahweh with my whole heart. My whole heart. He made it. He made my whole heart, so why shouldn't I? But with all that I am, don't hold something back. Don't thank God for just one part of my day, but always fully recognizing that he has given me my body and soul, all my members, that he has created this day, this world for me to live in and enjoy, that he has given me all good things that I have, giving thanks to Yahweh in the company of the upright in the congregation. Those two phrases can be seen synonymously with each other, that the congregation is the company of the upright, that as Christians we are upright not because we are perfect, we're upright because we're in Christ. He is our King, He is our Lord, He has taken our sin away from us, reconciled us to the Father, given us peace in His name, And so we spend that time with one another, gathering together as the body of Christ, as the church. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 speak to that quite clearly. We give thanks to God together. This is something that hopefully occurs every time your congregation gathers, that you thank the Lord for his goodness. Great are the works of Yahweh, studied by all who delight in them. This is one where, again, family conversation, what great Old Testament works can you remember? 
ask each other, talk about them, maybe make it into a contest, see who can come up with the most. Talk about those stories together, especially if somebody mentions one that nobody else recognizes or if somebody else doesn't recognize. And after you finish the Old Testament, move on to the New Testament. What great works has he done? And these all impact us, that are part of our faith, that we are called to remember. Now, studied by all who delight in them, we have a tendency as fallen and sinful man to prefer entertainment over God, entertainment over God's word. And so you take a a fictional series that's fake, it's entirely made up, it doesn't even exist. Whether it's something like Star Wars, The Lord of the Rings, Pokemon, whatever it is, we take something like that, a story of man, and we memorize all kinds of things. To the point where some of you could spell out the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe timeline. We know the lore. We know the names, we know the cities, we know the the types of people. We remember the stories because we have so engrossed ourselves in these things. Verse 2 is a reminder that this is what we should be doing with the lore of Scripture. Lore, the stories. The Scripture is filled with cities. But they're not pretend cities, like Rivendell. Doesn't exist. They're real cities. Hebron exists, or at least it once did. It was on the map. Abraham lived there. A forefather of ours in the faith. We are children of Abraham by the promise, according to Romans chapter 9. And quite honestly, this doesn't even need to just be a real and a fictional conversation either. How many of you as children had to memorize all the presidents of this country? How many of you still remember them? Maybe some of you do. How many of you had to memorize all the kings of Israel? I'd be surprised if there were any of us that were forced to memorize all of those names. Why? One of them has very little meaning to our faith. Well, the other has more. It's worth asking the question. It's worth allowing ourselves to be critiqued here by God's holy word. That we should want to study his word. We should want to study and learn about and know the things of our faith before us. How all the Old Testament points to Christ. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. God's work is majestic. That's royalty. He is king. What do kings do? They provide for their people. They protect their people. They lead them. And he does these things for his people. His righteousness endures forever. His perfection It never ends. There is no fault with God. There is no failure in God. He will not sin. 
so he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. That goes really in different directions, too. You have the idea of, of the oral tradition, as a father would tell his son, as stories would be passed in the community, but eventually even as the stories start to be written down. We receive the Holy Scripture, and we know this to be God's word given to us to teach us of Christ. Yahweh is gracious and merciful. Some Christians will take grace and mercy and make them synonyms with each other. I won't pick on that too much. I do tend to draw a distinction between the two, but they're still really close. I would say mercy is when God does not give us what we deserve. So we deserve to be punished. God does not give us that punishment. That is him showing mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Don't smite me. Grace is the gift that God gives that we don't deserve. I don't deserve to live forever, but he gives it. We didn't deserve for Christ to come to save us, but he did. Now, these things end up overlapping, right? In order for my my sins to not be punished, there must be forgiveness. Grace and mercy go hand in hand. Yahweh is these things. They are part of his character. They're who he is. Verse 5, he provides food for those who fear him, remembers his covenant forever. The idea of fearing God shows up in this text three times. That's pretty frequent considering how short the passage is. Verse 5 provides food for those who fear him. Verse 9, holy and awesome is his name. And verse 10, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Fear. Now, some of you may wonder how awesome connects to fear. The word all means fear. And the sum, suffix, means worthy. So to be awesome is to be worthy of fear. That's the literal meaning of the word. I know it's not how American English uses it any longer. We use it as something that's cool. Good, great. But there are very few things that are actually awesome, that are worthy of our fear. Yahweh, God, is, well, I think we can fairly say the only thing that is awesome. Now you could talk about it in connection to God, so his works are awesome, because they're from him. They are worthy of being feared. His judgment is worthy of being feared. It is awesome. His power, his omnipotence, as we might call it, his omniscience that he knows all things, these are things that are worthy of fear. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to discern. So you might have knowledge of what is good and knowledge of what is evil. Wisdom allows you to distinguish between the two. So wisdom and knowledge are not the same, but they also go together, sort of like grace and mercy. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Because fear of Yahweh is faith. 
It is trusting him, trusting his promises, trusting that his works are true, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so all who practice it, all who practice wisdom, have good understanding. We're learning the ways of the Lord. We're learning what is good and what is evil. And we're learning what builds up and what tears down. And we learn these things from God himself. Now we have to double back to verse 5. He remembers his covenant forever. This is a reference to Sinai. Exodus 19 and 20 and, and following. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. This part most specifically seems to be a reference to God driving out the various tribes of the promised land, the Canaanite tribes, and giving them over to his own people, Israel. So the book of, book of Joshua would be in mind that God has taken that through many miracles. I mean, think of the, the account of Gideon and how the Lord destroyed the Midianite army that was oppressing Israel in the book of Judges, chapter 7. God has delivered his people. He has given them the nations. If you want to talk about a Joshua account, I mean, you've got Jericho, where the two spies, they meet Rahab, and she and her family are saved, but and the city walls come crashing down. Incredible stuff. God's power on display for the world to see. The works of his hands are faithful and just, so we get more of God's character here. Faithful, trustworthy, he does what he says he will do. Also just, he does what is right and what is good, not what is profitable to him, not what is partial or giving into a bribe, but he does what is good. His precepts, his commandments, his laws, his statutes, the words he speaks, the things he gives man to do, they are trustworthy, they are good. If the Lord speaks to you, you know you can trust him. Established forever and ever, most certainly true, God's word never fails. Accomplishes that for which he sent it, as the prophet Isaiah speaks. But also, as Jesus said, nothing passes away from it. He did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, to keep them. And so the things of God are performed. Again, faithfulness, uprightness. We've seen those words before. Sent redemption to his people. So now we might think of the book of Exodus and the book of Judges, how he rescues them from slavery in Egypt, brings them out from there, and also rescues them from the hands of their enemies, the oppressors, again, the Midianites, and so forth. If this is a later hymn, it could also include the rescue from Babylon and the exile. There's no time stamp to indicate anything about when this one was written. But we can also talk about his redemption for his people. How did he buy us back? That's a good family conversation question. Let your kids practice sharing the gospel with you. Let them tell you about Jesus Christ and what Christ has done by his death and by his resurrection, how he has forgiven your sins, how he has promised you life that never ends. This is good training as we study the works of Yahweh. 
is commanded as covenant forever, we could also point forward to the new covenant. And we already mentioned the Sinai, Sinaitic covenant, you can pronounce that. But the new covenant on Maundy Thursday, that is Christ's blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. So holy and awesome is his name. Holy, perfect. Set apart, it is not to be used lightly. And also awesome, worthy of fear. Skipping ahead, since we already covered the first part of verse 10, his praise endures forever. It may not feel like it sometimes. It may feel like the church is shrinking, but the praise of the Lord will never end. There are those faithful Christians who have already died in the faith, and they are singing his praises, and they will sing his praises, gathered around his throne in paradise forevermore, and we look forward to joining them there to coming alongside of our brothers and sisters in Christ and to live with Christ forevermore. And we will praise and thank him for what he has done for us. So let us start now. Thanks be to God. Praise me.